Philippians chapter 3, if you would please, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, going to begin reading at verse 15 and read down through the end of the chapter, verse 21. The Bible says, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so you have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, in their shame who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So the title of the message this morning is Living as Citizens of the Commonwealth of God. Living as citizens of the commonwealth of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. We thank you, Father, for the preservation of your word that we can have and ensure that we have the words of God given in our own language. And I pray, Father, that we look into the word of God today, that we would open our hearts and minds to receive thy truth. May the Spirit of God, who is the author of this book, I pray that he would speak to our hearts, convict us, of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. Uh, he would encourage us. And, Father, if there had been anyone in our midst this morning who do not have assurance of salvation, they would be brought to repentance and faith in Christ. I pray that the Spirit of God would, again, convict their heart, place, surrender to you. May you be glorified in all. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The word conversation in verse 20 is defined according to Thayer's uh, lexicon, as a commonwealth. A commonwealth. Or citizens of a commonwealth. Many times this word is used uh, to mean manner of life. For example, in Hebrews 13, 5, where it says, let your conversation be without covetousness. Not that your manner of life needs to be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. So there it means manner of life. But here... The word conversation means citizens of a commonwealth. A commonwealth is a self-governing territory, according to dictionary.com. And this is descriptive of a New Testament church. We often say that a New Testament church is to be autonomous. That is self-governing. Self-governing. And it's a government given to us in the word of God. It is a government of heaven, given from heaven given to prepare us and direct us for living in the kingdom of God. So we are citizens of a heavenly commonwealth, you might say. So Paul here is giving some instructions to the church of Philippi how they ought to live and conduct themselves as citizens of the commonwealth of God. And I have two two major points this morning and then some subpoints, but first of all, when we look at the Christian's walk in the commonwealth, in verses 15 and 16, he gives us several things. Well, no, let me read that again. It says, Let us therefore, 
as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Now, two weeks ago, I believe it was, we were looking at this passage, or looking at the previous passage, and, and we, we said basically that none of us have arrived. None of us are what we consider, you know, how we use the word perfect. You know, we, we've arrived at this place where we, we, we don't grow anymore. None of us have arrived here. Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so, as we think about the Christian walk, you know, to help us understand what the Christian walk is, let's consider what it is not. It is not perfectionism. It's not perfectionism. Again, the word, I draw your attention to the word therefore. You know, therefore is a conjunction. So, I believe what the Bible is saying here is, what I'm about to say is related to the previous verse or verses. So if you have been made perfect, made righteous, justified by God through faith in Christ, then you should be perfecting your life or pressing toward the mark. So he says, therefore, as many as be perfect, as many as be made perfect, you're standing in Christ, you've been made righteous, you ought to have this mindset in you that you are pressing toward the mark, that you are perfecting your life. You are not perfect. None of us are perfect. You won't find anyone in the Bible, even the heroes of the faith, that were perfect. None of them were. None of them were without sin. So, so as we think about this, it's not this idea of perfection. That's not the Christian walk. Uh, he says, you know, to be perfect, have, the, have of the mind a character, to, to reach a proper height, be like a full-grown man. That's our, that's our goal. And he says, to be thus minded means to think soberly or to be modest. Uh, the idea of not let one's opinion of himself exceed the bounds of modesty. Uh, you know, we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Sometimes we think, well, you know, I, I'm just doing pretty good. Yeah, you know. I mean, you know, I could say maybe like the Apostle Paul, follow me as you have me for an example. Scrap that. Now, Paul said that under inspiration. So he wasn't boasting. He was led of the Lord to write it. I wasn't led of the Lord to say that. Uh, but, you know, that that... But you know, but he, but he, but he's telling us here is, look, we need to, we need to, we have not arrived to this place of perfectionism. That is not the Christian walk. That's not what's presented in the Scripture. Uh, you know, the, again, the word perfect in Scripture means as to practice means full grown and mature. It doesn't mean flawless or sinless. That's not practical human behavior. Again, notice verse 12, and this is what Paul said about himself. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. So he says, I'm not, I've not reached this level of perfection from man's standpoint. You know, men look at me, I've not reached this level of perfection. I am made right with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am perfect in my standing with Him. But my practice is not perfection. Constantly. That's the goal. 
Again, the Hebrews, the hall of faith is not a list of sinless men and women. It's a record of people who by faith in God overcame difficult and impossible circumstances by the power of God. You know, the apostles were ordinary men. They did some really D-U-M dumb stuff, we would say. They were just ordinary men. Moses and Aaron, ordinary men God used. Did Aaron fail? Did Aaron sin against God? Did Moses sin against God? Yes, he did. But God used them. They were made righteous by God, and they were, they were striving or pressing toward the mark, but they weren't perfect. You know, Sarah, Jochebed, Hannah, Ruth, Mary, Martha, Dorcas, all these were ordinary women, again, that God used to glare His glory and power. These were not perfect people. You know, Ephesians 2, Paul tells us, writes to the church at Ephesus, says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation time past, in the lust of the flesh, filling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved, hath raised us up together, that's our standing, raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. Now, when it talks about him be, we being his workmanship, in other words, we are something that the Lord's continuing, continuing, continuing to work on and work in to make us more and more like himself. So again, the idea here isn't perfectionism. That's not the Christian, that's not a practical Christian walk. If you are one that's, you know, perfectionists are also usually very discouraging people. They're easily discouraged because things are just never quite good enough. Sometimes I'm just hard to live with because things just aren't quite right. You know, if I see something isn't working right, I got to fix it. At least I think I do. It used to be so bad I'd even do it at other people's houses. Uh, to the embarrassment of my wife, you know. But, but anyway, uh, you know, that's terrible. Uh, perfectionists can be very discouraging because they get discouraged if things aren't just right and can be very hard on themselves. You see, the, 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 the Christian walk is not one of perfectionism, nor is it, secondly, it is not antinomianism. Now, that's just the opposite. We would call the perfectionists legalists. That's how you might describe it. Antinomianism means against law. Notice in verses 17 through 19, he says, Brethren, be followers together with me, and mark them which walk, so you have us for an example. For many walk, on whom I have told you often, now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their 
belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Now, I know there's a big theological word, antinomianism, but it means simply means against law. And so we have this, this theology today, and it's always been around, but it's more prominent today, I think, than it's ever been. If we are under grace, then law is gone. And, and we have no responsibility to obey its commands because it's gone. We're under grace. Therefore, one, we can do what we like. And we're not subject to any judgment. And so we become a law under ourselves. This is anti-law, anti-authority. It's to defund the police kind of ideas. By the way, that didn't originate with the police. It originated in religion. Because we've got a bunch of... The vast majority of Christendom today adopts this philosophy. We're not under the law. We're not under any moral obligations. We're under grace, brother, so you can do what you want. Drink a little, fornicate a little, do whatever you want. It's okay. God's gracious. He's like some big jolly Santa Claus sitting up there. He'll just give you what you want and smile. You see, this, has, this, this philosophy, uh, uh, so-called Christianity, has done more to destroy Christianity than the Caesars of Rome. Or the infidels like Voltaire, Paine, or Robert Ingersoll. You know, those attacks were from without. And it only purified and strengthened Christians. But this false teaching that Paul's talking about here comes from within the churches. And it corrupts Christians and churches. It creates a form of godliness, but denies the power against God. Notice Paul describes it as enmity against God. Verse 18, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. You see, one of the things that they don't like is the cross. Because the cross speaks of bearing a burden. And Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. That's why in a lot of these modern churches, you don't see crosses. You know, one of the things that you, if you want to turn a church into a contemporary church, one of the things you do is you take the Bibles out of the pews. You take the hymn books out of the pews. You take all the crosses off the walls, any scripture, anything. Any, you know, those stained glass windows would have to go. Because they have biblical symbols. They have to go. Anything that reminds you of honoring God has to go. Or sacrifice. Cross speaks of sacrifice. You see, Paul says these are the enemies. They're the enemies of the cross of Christ. He says it's worldly. Worldly. And results in eternal damnation. Notice verse 19. Whose end is destruction. Whose God is their belly. And whose glory is in their shame. Who mind earthly things. See they're earthly. They're worldly. And the results or fruits of their end is eternal damnation. Jude gives a good description. Of these kinds of things. In Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, 
Paul makes a similar statement, Romans 16, as he finishes the letter to the churches at Rome. In verses 17 and 18 of Romans 16, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrines you have learned, and avoid them. And one of the things they don't like is doctrine. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but by their own belly and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. He said they, they their own belly, or the, the idea here is pleasure is their God. They live for pleasure. I want to do what I want to do. This philosophy is anti-Christian. It's unchristian. It's against God. It's walking after your own lusts. These people despise doctrines of holiness, doctrines of separation. Do you know James 2.20 still says, Faith without works, is dead. If there isn't any evidence, if you just live like the world and claim to be a child of God, you're only fooling yourself. You're only kidding yourself. You know, the moral law of the Old Testament is still as binding and obligatory as it ever was. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And this is in the New Testament, by the way. Matthew 5, verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so... He should be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them the same should be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You know, one of the things I don't want when I get to heaven is the Lord to say, yeah, you're one of those least preachers. Because you, there were certain passages of Scripture you wouldn't preach and teach because you were afraid it would offend You know, we've got a lot of ear ticklers. They want to preach smooth things, things that sound good, things that are nice, things that are pleasing, that's that you can live and still live in pleasure, come to church, have a good time, be happy, and go live your life however you want. It's not what Jesus taught. In fact, you read the rest of this chapter, and it's all about the law. He said, you know, the law says thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, if you're angry with your brother and you're in danger of judgment. What's he doing? He's talking about now the spirit of the law or your attitude toward your brother, not just the act of killing him. And, and you know, there's a lot of them like that there. So the law is, is as much... In- Christ as it was in Moses. It's as much in Romans as in Leviticus, in the New Testament as the Old Testament. And if you walk according to this way, you're cursed. This is the cursed walk. If your God is your belly, if you live for pleasure, you're cursed. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. That's not the Christian walk. 
So it's not perfectionism over here on the right. It's not this antimonianism or against law on the left. You know, Paul demonstrates here for us the model for Christian living in the commonwealth of God. And this, this Christian walk is two things I'm going to give you. Number one, to consider oneself. You always, as a child of God, a child of God will always consider himself or herself. Notice again verse 15 and 16. Let us therefore, as many be perfect, be thus minded. Now the thus minded refers back to the preceding verses where it talks about, I press toward the mark for the prize. I haven't arrived at perfection, but I'm pressing toward the mark. I'm, I'm striving to grow and be more like Christ day in and day out. So that's my mindset. And if, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded. So if, if you think otherwise, God will show it to you. God shall reveal even this unto you. God's going to show you or bring to your attention that your thinking is wrong if this isn't your mindset. Because you're in for a fall. In other words, we need to consider oneself. So even if we are mature adults spiritually, we need to understand that we still have room for growth. You know, you may be considered a mature Christian. But do you ever stop learning? You know, we must still labor to maintain our walk with the Lord. That means to not yield to the flesh and fall into habitual sin. And so we have to consider ourselves. Romans 12, 3 says this, Every man has a measure of faith. Romans, Romans, not Romans 3, Romans 12, 3. Let me, let me read it to you. Romans 12, 3 says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So we're to, not to think of ourselves more than we ought. Don't think more highly of yourself than you should. Now, you don't want to think bad about yourself. That's not a good, that's not a good outlook on life, just to, just to always be down on yourself. You know, that, that's going to lead you to lead, to, to lead a defeated life. But, but we ought not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. In other words, not boast in ourselves, but, but put our trust and our confidence in the Lord. So, and because and God has given to every man the measure of faith. It's the acting of faith is the exercise thereof. It's how much you exercise. Whether you have much faith or little faith. But God's given every man a measure of faith. Now, I know some of you work out, you know, Andrew works out a lot. And I know he thinks he's got more muscles than I do. And some of you, if you look at him and compare him to me, you'd probably say, yeah, he probably does. But I'm here to inform you that I have just as many muscles as he has. I have just as many abs as he has. Andrew is looking at me like, yeah, uh-huh, sure. Now, they have maybe haven't been exercised as much. They may not be as big as his but I have just as many. I just haven't exercised them as much. See, all of us have been given a measure of faith. 
Some have exercised that faith more than others. But God gives to every man a measure of faith. So don't think or boast about your faith because God gave it to you. God gave it to you. You're not in a class by yourself. When writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, again, Paul said, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes. Now, Paul and Apollos were two great men of God in that time period. To the greatest men. It's believed, Paul, Apollos was considered, he could, he was, the Bible says he was mightily in the scriptures. And it was believed that maybe he could quote large portions of the Old Testament verbatim. So he mightily convinced the Jews because he was mighty in the scriptures. And, and so these were, these were great men of God. And this is what he said about him. That you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written. That no one of you be puffed up for one against another. So learn from us. Don't think more of yourself than you should. Don't puff up yourself. You know, don't put confidence in yourself, in your own reasoning, in your own willpower, the strength of your flesh. The Jeremiah 17.9 tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? In Philippians 3 and verse 3, Paul told those at Philippi, have no confidence in the flesh. Don't have any confidence in your flesh. In Romans, thir- uh, Romans 13 and verse 14, he told them to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. If you make provisions for your flesh, it's going to fulfill its provisions. It's going to fulfill its lust if you make provisions for it. See, your flesh will sell your soul to the devil and hell to satisfy its pride and its lusts and its desires. You affirm us, Timothy 6, Paul told, wrote to Timothy, he said, be content with such things as you have. God lives in contentment is great gain. And they that will to be rich shall fall into foolish and hurtful to lust which drown men in destruction. You say, well, I'm strong. You can be weakened very quickly. Put a, a specimen of a Powerful man in, in, a, in a sick bed for three, four days. And you know what? He weakens very, very quickly. You know, Samson went from a mighty man to a weak man in a time of a haircut. Time of a haircut. The length of time it took to cut off the locks of his hair. But he thought he was just as strong as he always would. And he went out and thought he'd just do what he always did. But he wist not that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. You know, it was gone. His power was gone. He didn't even know it. In one night, he lost his strength. David lost his effectiveness as a king in one night. See, you can be weakened very quickly. The, the Christian walk is, look, consider one's self. Consider yourself. 
Second thing that a Christian walk is, is to continue pursuing the high calling of God. Notice again verse 15 here. Uh, verse 15, where he says, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And again, that word therefore is hanging us back to the preceding verse, where he's talking about, I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So we must continue to study to show ourselves approved. You know, one of the things that Peter, you know, Peter was an ordinary man, of course, who made, who was continually blundering. But when Peter wrote Second Peter, he, he continually reminds us of things. He uses the word, stir up your pure minds, and then he uses the word remembrance over and over and over again. I didn't count the number of times, but there's three times at least in the first chapter. In 2 Peter 1, verse 12, he says, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it's me as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir up you up by putting you in remembrance. There it is again. Knowing shortly that I must put off this my tabernacle, even as the Lord Jesus Christ has showed me, moreover I will endeavor that you may be from my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. And, and he's telling us here in chapter 1, look, you need to remember the importance of the Scriptures. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And these things are more important than, than the, the things we saw in the Mount. You know, he saw that Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus was, was glorified before him and, 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 and Moses and Elijah met them there and he talked to them. They talked of his decease and, and, and they witnessed that thing. He said, that was a great experience. But he said, I'm telling you, there's something greater than that. And that is the Scriptures. And you need to take heed to the Scriptures Don't follow your experiences. Don't be led astray by experiences or your feelings. You need to follow the Scriptures. You know, if we're going to continue to pursue the high calling of God, we have to be continually in the Scriptures. We have to be in the Scriptures. In verse 19, he says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed the light that shineth in a dark place, under the day dawn, they star rise in your hearts. So you need to remember the scriptures, the importance of the scriptures. In chapter 2, he says you need to remember to beware of false prophets that will lead you to that big word, antinomianism, against law. That's what they do. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, There were false prophets also among the people, and even as there should be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. You know, they speak evil of churches like ours. We need to be aware of the false prophets that will turn us away from God, from following the, and obeying the law of God. I think we can just live any way we want and it doesn't really matter. And then you need to remember, the Lord is coming. Chapter 3. 
Oh, there's scoffers, you know, they've been saying, oh, where's the sign of his coming? We've been looking for his coming, you've been saying this for thousands of years. But he said, just remember, a day with the Lord is a thousand years, or a thousand years in one day. The Lord is coming. He's coming. Verse 12, chapter 3 says, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. And so his argument is, look, you need to be diligent in your walk with the Lord. In chapter 1, verse 10, he says, Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. If you do these things, you never fall. You shall make, make certain of your salvation that you are a child of God. And, and then chapter 3, verse 14, again he says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless, that you're prepared for his coming. So Paul said, look, you need to, if you're a child of God, this is ought to be your mindset. I'm continually pursuing the high prize of the calling of God in Christ. I'm continuing to learn about God, how to please Him, how to better please Him today than I did yesterday. How to walk and live more like Him. How to walk in holiness more like Him. How to apply the scriptures to my life. Always growing and maturing. Now somebody compared it to an apple. In June, it's a perfect apple. But in September, it's a perfected apple. In June, it is perfect as a horticultural specimen. But in September... It is perfected as full-grown, beautifully colored, and deliciously tasting specimen of refined fruit. In June, it is progressing in perfection. In September, it is perfect in its progress. You see, that's the way we are as a child of God. We are perfect in our standing. We are being perfected. In our state. So in everyday practical life, we're continually being perfected. We're continuing to learn. We're continuing to grow. We're continuing to examine our life before the Lord. And to be a better witness and testimony for Him. My words, my attitudes, my actions, the way I dress, the way I conduct myself in the world, the thoughts and attitudes that I have. See, this is what Paul meant when he wrote to Corinth and to us. In 2 Corinthians 13.9, he says this, For we are glad when we are weak and ye are strong. In this we also we wish even your perfection. Corinth, what I really want from you is growth. Lighthouse Baptist Church, what the Lord's saying is what I want from you is growth. Continual perfection. Going on to perfection. That's the Christian walk. Then I want you to notice, then finally, the Christian's hope. Verses 20 and 21. So we have the Christian's walk. Here we have the Christian's hope. Verses 20 and 21. It says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to do all things unto himself. 
Again, the word conversation, as I mentioned, means here a constitution of a commonwealth or a state. We are citizens of a commonwealth. Of course, a commonwealth is a self-governing territory. And our Christian walk, as described in Scripture, is heavenly in origin and heavenly in destiny. You know, a person's walk requires several things. It requires a position, a place to start, you might say. And our starting place is the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we start. We have a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. To be in Christ, in the family of God, requires a new birth. It requires new life from God. It requires we be saved from our sin and made right with God. We must repent of our sin and receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, for He is our life. Without Him there is no life, just death. And so the question is, have you, have, have you, are you, do you have a position? Have you truly repented of your sins and submitted yourself to God? Acknowledge Him as Lord of your life. That's where it begins. A person's walk also requires emotion or power with which to live. Again, verse 20 and 21. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to do all things unto himself. You know, he is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the power by which we live. He's the master. You know, he is master of all creation. He has power over all creation. The Bible says here that he is, he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Now, that's a pretty strong statement. In other words, he is able to bring everything and everyone into subjection to him. And he will. I mean, he's given us lots of illustrations in the Bible where he did this very thing. He made a donkey talk so a man could understand. A lion to kill a disobedient prophet and yet not eat him. A whale to swallow a man. Now, that's miracle enough, but it gets better than that. He spit him out too. A finger to write on a wall. Walls to fall down flat after Israel marched around them. He dried up a sea, paused a river, caused confusion in armies that they would kill each other. He sent an angel of the Lord, and killed 185,000 soldiers in one night. Not even Napoleon, I don't think, could do that. He turned water to wine, the blind to see, the lame to walk. He raised the dead to life, and he saved my soul. Can he not perfect that which concerneth me? Is he not able to subdue all things unto himself? Can he not change this vile body and make it like unto his glorious one? You see, this is the power of the Christian life. This is what empowers us to live the Christian life. It is the power 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Master. In Philippians 3.10, Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. In Ephesians 1, verses 19 to 23, again, he says, What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him to the dead, and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world that which is to come, hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullest of him that filleth all in all. You see, he, he's going to put everything under his feet. Everything is going to be subject to him. He's able. Paul wrote to Timothy and said he, in his times he's going to show his, who is the only potentate. King of kings and Lord of lords. Men can blaspheme his name today, but the day is going to come when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, this is the power. It's the power of Christ with which we live in this wicked world to overcome sin. The world, the flesh, and the devil. That's the power. Third thing we have is a posture or an attitude with which we live. Verse 20, again. For our conversation is in heaven. That's our citizenship. That's our commonwealth. That's our government. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The word look for, he means continuously and patiently wait for. To continuously and patiently wait for. In Romans 8.19 the Bible says. For the earnest, earnest expectation. The continual and patiently looking for. The earnest expectation of the creature. Waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Waiting for that, that time when the Lord will come. You know this posture is an important part of a person's walk. You know a bad posture presents a bad appearance. You know, your posture does a lot to tell, speaks about you, how you walk. You see people walking around, you know, kids walking around like this. You know what I conclude? They don't, they're, they're embarrassed about themselves. They're insecure. It has to do with their attitude toward themselves. It's not really a physical, but it, it presents itself in a physical appearance. But it's an attitude. And Paul refers to those who had this attitude of, ah, no law, ah, do what I want, ah, just do my own thing. It's my life, who cares what anybody else thinks. You know, it is your life. You can do what you want. But you don't get to choose the consequences. As he says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. You know, our, a bad posture or a bad attitude gives one a deformed walk and appearance, 
with ill effects upon those who watch them. You know, our conversation, our citizenship is in the commonwealth of heaven, and our lives, if we are saved, should demonstrate the position that we have in the commonwealth of God. In other words, we should be walking the light of the coming of our Lord, our Master, expecting Him. I mean, if you're doing a job or service for somebody and you're expecting the boss to come around, do you want to look shoddy? Do you want to look half done? If that was the case, you'd hope he didn't show up. No. The Bible says here, we look for the Savior. So if we're walking the light of the Lord, we should be looking for that coming. In 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. You see, if we have this expectation that we're looking for the Lord, if we believe He's coming, if we believe He's coming and we're looking for Him, we're not going to be living to please the pleasures of life. Because the Lord is a righteous judge. He's not a big Santa Claus. He's a righteous judge who's going to judge Righteously. But he is coming. And we should be looking forward to that coming. Does your life demonstrate that you are a citizen of the commonwealth of heaven? Have you been born again? Born of God? Does your Christian, does your walk resemble your birthright? Somebody said this, quote, Preparation for participation must come through regeneration. If you want to participate in the Lord's coming, it requires that ye be born again. See, this is the Christian walk in the commonwealth of heaven. Is that your walk today? Are you a citizen of God's kingdom? Truly been born again.